I'm Phil Liggett and this is The Wheelhouse. Well, hello and welcome to a very special edition of The Wheelhouse Cycling Podcast. We're in Adelaide for the Tour Down Under. Uh, my normal co-host, Joel Spreadborough, well, he's on a beach in Thailand somewhere, so I've had to rustle up some talent. And uh, we've got the wonderful Sophie Smith here, author, journalist, uh, you've got a Tour de France book, Soph. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge, huge fan of this podcast, so it's my pleasure. Well, to get it out of the way, Joel's actually asked me to call you Jolene. Right, just okay. Just so things aren't a bit too changed. I mean, Are you okay with that? I'm a Dolly Parton fan, so <laughs> I'm down with that. Working nine to five. <laughs> um, before we go into it, can we just pause for a moment? Because the voice of cycling, the great Phil Liggett, he introduced our show, so do you think we've made it? Is that it? He's Can we amazing, go home now? Isn't he? Maybe. <laughs> How do you follow that? I don't know. I mean, I literally had to stand in line to even get to him. And I know him so well, but that's outside the Adelaide Hilton, which is the headquarters for the Tour yeah. Down Under. There's just people that harass him left, right, and center. He's he's always popular. He's almost, I would say, a, a bigger attraction than some I of the riders. Oh, <laughs> which they won't like me for saying yeah. it. But, <laughs> and still so down to earth. Like you see him in the Hilton lobby and he'll still stop and say hello. And He's so chill. Well, he is sporting four broken ribs after a boating is accident. Um, so I'm not sure whether that will make him um, bigger on screen. Or I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, now we're more raspy. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Still a beautiful voice. Exactly. We've scoured high and low for a pretty good location to record this week. Uh, we've ended up in... The, uh, the the village bar. By Sophie. coincidence. By um, coincidence. Look, it's not open yet, I might add. So we don't have any overly excited pundits kind of rolling through. But if we're here for long enough, you never know what could happen. <laughs> and with the champagne. It's now two down under. It's something pretty special. Like I mean, obviously we're biased. We're Australian. We've been here before, and for us, it's always a bit of an adventure. But there's just something about the atmosphere, isn't there? There is, and it's nice to be back with it not have been run for the last two years. But there is something about this race. Everyone used to say, oh, it's relaxed. And I don't think it's relaxed anymore in terms of the in terms of the racing being a World Tour event, uh, men's and women's yes. now. But you know, it is, there are many reasons I come here and it's not just because there's a free bar and pizza in the press room. Oh, <laughs> that is a draw card. Hold on, that is, that is a draw card. But come not, on now. <laughs> not just that, but you know, the racing is competitive. The weather's amazing. And I think uh, everyone that's here actually just really does enjoy the event. You've got the luxury of staying in the same hotel for the entire duration. You're not lugging your suitcase uh, everywhere. Every yeah, well, day. that's a good point. And let's delve into that for a second because a normal race that you're following, Soph, because you go around the world, you go to the Tour de France, you, you follow the Grand Tours, the classics, you name it. But for those, literally each day you move to a new hotel, yep. you're in and out. Yeah. But at the Tour Down Under, you stay in the one hotel because amazing. all of the racing <laughs> departs so from in and around Adelaide, Yeah, right? Yeah. And how good is that for the riders? I mean, does that make the riders more relaxed when you're interviewing them, do you think? I think so. And just just in general, it might, it, I would say it improves the racing, but everyone is more relaxed, maybe a little bit uh, more approachable or just not even as fatigued. Like, it's easy for me to say because I'm not riding a couple hundred <laughs> kilometres every day in 40 degree heat. <laughs> um, but I think with recovery and, and and that sort of thing, like you're not having massive transfers that eat into your recovery time. You're not having dinner at 10 10 p.m. at night because you've got stuck in traffic or you know whatever. Um, yes, the oh. transfer times are reasonable. You're having dinner at the same time every night and 
have, you actually have a little bit of an opportunity to socialise as well. So Ooh. it's a nice way to start the season. God forbid, socialise. What's I mean, that? <laughs> Although I did hear uh, a couple of years ago that some of the Spanish teams didn't really love Tour Down Under because the food hall where they eat their meals at night closes at 8pm. Right. And for them, they don't even want to eat until 10pm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they asked the organisers if they could actually keep it open later. Wow. They got a no. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I reckon they're having uh, wheat bix in their rooms at 10pm. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's dive into it. Before we do TDU, because that kicks off, there's so much to dive into there. But Last weekend, we had the Aussie Road Nationals, mm. and it feels like such a special event, not just for the Aussies, but the whole world of road cycling has been on hiatus and holidays, yeah. and all of a sudden, everybody turns um, to inevitably Mount Buninyong, to Ballarat, yeah. <laughs> to watch the season start again with our summer of cycling. Yeah. In the elites, we had some pretty incredible rides. I mean, it's in the women, Brody Chapman winning the road race. It's one of those goosebump moments. It yeah. really was. It, yeah. She's such a pop. She's like the people's writer. She's great, Sophie. isn't she? Yeah. And she has such an interesting, like, just story, you know, from where she grew up and and her rise, you know, through to the ranks. It was really nice to see her actually come out with a victory. And she backed herself as well. Like, I've always got this focus with athletes on, obviously, and you would know this, um, you have to have the physical goods. But I think for me and my experience interviewing athletes, a lot of it can be mental as well and in those key moments like backing yourself and having the conviction to see it through and she had that yeah one of the things I love about her is that she's been pretty open that she's had some mental health struggles but mm. she sees it as her secret weapon because she knows when she's vulnerable and that gives her strength yeah. it almost allows her when she's feeling good to know that she's unshakable and I really like that and her mum is in a chat group that I'm in and she sends photos and updates on Brody all the time. <laughs> and when Brody was racing, she was sending pictures of like nobody was watching. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which was a little bit funny. But if we look at the men's road race, I can't believe it. Lucas Plapp year after year. Like how? That's all not... of his professional wins have come from the national championships. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's, He's now second year professional. Yeah. Two green and gold jerseys. It's not insignificant to go back to back. No, it's not. And particularly on that course, I think the thing with the national championships is the Australian national championships is that the course is fixed. And there's been lots of conjecture over the years as to whether it should change um, every year. But, you know, you do sometimes see different types of riders. You know, there are sprinters that may have to be at the top of their game in January that can win. There's climbers that can win. And that course and the conditions every year, it is a race of attrition. It's, you know, you say that so often, it starts to sound like a cliche, but... For him to, you know, he's still quite young and it like, as you know, like many talented Australian riders and they all take that race very seriously. I think one thing that Australians are really big on is it's not lost on them representing their country and what an honour and privilege that is. Uh, so when they come to Buninyong, and it's really random and is kind of, you know, you've got all these world-class cyclists descend on, <laughs> onto this small, I guess you could call it country town. Um, so for him to, again, you know, conviction, to have to form the conviction to, to succeed there and successfully defend a title and alone, like he didn't have any trade teammates there, like hats and, off. And with 100k to go, he looked crap, honestly. <laughs> like he looked done for the day. It was pretty hot down there as well. And I thought, oh, look, I'm glad he's defended his title, but I don't think it's his day. 
And then he just started to look. It, it's like he swapped with the others. Everybody that looked comfortable started wiggling Fatiguing. around. Yeah. And he just came into his own. I'm so impressed. We'll see him at TDU this week. And, and it is impressive because I like... I haven't had the, I haven't interviewed Luke a lot, but he's a December baby like me. And not only is he a December baby, his baby, uh, his birthday is Christmas Day. So for him to <laughs> have a birthday, have Christmas, have New Year, and come out in early January and do that, it's it's been a big time. I'm I looking forward to seeing him here. <laughs> did he get his full Ineos team kit for the year already? And now he'll just essentially end up with two kids? I don't know. Can we ask him that? Potentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ask. we can ask him, not <laughs> potentially. We can, we ask can him. Let's ask him that. Um, so the time trials, Grace Brown. Isn't she great? Isn't she great? Yeah. And she's really coming into her own as well. She had a fantastic season last year with multiple wins. At the World Championships, we were both there. She was in the hot seat for... I thought she had that right up until Ellen Van Dyke was... Oh, I know. <laughs> and we loved Ellen's win, but... Oh, Grace yeah. is so close. Yeah, but I think for her, again, to defend a title, that's, you know, that's no mean feat. That's hard. I often ask, ask athletes, I'm like, what's harder, like winning it the first time or winning it the second time, the third time? I reckon it's harder to back up. And I also think for riders like Grace, she's now doing so well internationally mm. that in her earlier days, she was able to really focus on nationals and that was her whole season. But now that she's at such demand by her team FDJ for international races, the nationals kind of pale in significance. And so for her to still be on that form this early, I think is really impressive. Um, But in the men, this one's exciting. (laughs) I know, I get animated (laughs) and excited um, because Jay Vine stepped up to take his first green and gold jersey. On his first race participation. Yes. Look, I'm so pumped. We had him um, in the wheelhouse bunker before Christmas, he and Bree, and he talked about how determined he was to do time trials. He's a numbers man, Sophie. He was like, uh, in his head, I imagine it's like the Matrix. Yeah. And okay. he talked about how for him, he'd seen his data. He knew that he could be a good time trialist, uh, that it was a very big thing heading over to Team UAE because they were going to put the time into mm. setting him up on his bike. So he went to a training camp in December with them, the first uh, time he was in that team environment. He got a new bike. He did wind tunnel testing. He got set up. Mm. January, the national time trial had a massive, you know, mark on it for him. And he bloody did it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one thing I picked up in his post-race interview was that he spoke about the importance of having that proper setup. I mean, for you, like, how important is that in something like as technical as a time trial? Like, is that, can that be the difference between winning and losing? You know, physically, yes. Aerodynamically, yes. Psychologically, overwhelmingly, yes. Oh, really? Yeah, I I think that when you, the first time I ever got on my perfect setup for me time trial bike, it was like putting a Wonder Woman cape on. Like you just, (laughs) it all comes together and it's a really cool feeling. And I think there's something about Jay's journey that I really connect with because... Mm. He's so methodical the way he steps through it. Yeah. But amongst that, you could think that he's a bit of a machine. But mm. the emotion he shows afterwards and that he and his wife, Bree, share, that's where it peels back and you see that he's not a machine at all. Yeah. And that those two sides that come together um, is quite beautiful. It's quite, yeah. Yeah. Now, I haven't got it yet, but I'm waiting. I'm checking my emails every two minutes uh, because we are here um, in Adelaide with the wheelhouse, uh, with Zwift and with Champ Sis and also the Grow Getters group, 
who own a company called Pisse in Australia. Right. Now they have nailed it, hit it out of the park and got a sponsorship deal with UAE. So it's pretty exciting for the wheelhouse because now we're like pretty much part of UAE, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> you saw it, you had a little the vision. <laughs> you called uh, it early. But they are hustling now to design a suit for him because the first stage of the men's here at the TDU for the first time ever is a prologue. prologue. So he's going to get to wear this beautiful new skin suit. Um, So they're hustling. I need to talk to them a little bit more about exactly what it takes to get this done quick sticks. Uh, But they are rushing everything to get it done for him. Uh, And I reckon that'll be From what you've said, though, I wonder if he lined up irrespective of, of what he was wearing on that particular day or being a new kit and just thought, yeah, I've, this is mine. I've won this today. Yeah, I, I reckon I reckon he might have. Because there were lots of people afterwards or, you know, the reports in the media were it was an upset win or Ooh. and he's got such a unique um, rise to the like top, back, I guess you Yeah, backstory with talent um, ID. But I wonder just from what you've said there and, and how he's a numbers mm. man, if he – if the result of that was decided in his head before he even rolled down the ramp. Well, I'm glad you said, was it an upset? Because I think that is how so many people view it. But simply my chat with him in December, for me, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, because the other thing he mentioned was his intense focus on one of the stages here, uh, which is to Campbelltown and the corkscrew, mm. stage three. And we know he can climb. And we know he can climb. Mm. And he has said that he's watched it in the past He's never ridden it, but he's watched it in the past and for him, he's seen it as one of the most iconic moments in Australian racing at all. Like, forget Wollonga, for him, it's the corkscrew. It's the corkscrew. Um, so, yeah, our wheelhouse team, um, we've got some cardboard, we've got some Posca pens, so, <laughs> uh, which is a paint pen for right. anybody who doesn't have a child and enjoy crafting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to make him a poster. Amazing. And, and it's going to say, hashtag, get J. And we're going to wave it around and have a little bit of fun. Because uh, I reckon, like, that's his day. He's already said that back in December when he said about the time trial. Mm. And I think he's proving to be one of those riders where when he says, hold my beer, you hold his beer. You hold his beer. Yeah. It'll be so interesting. So jumping, jumping ahead a bit here, if you, if, you're, if you start with a prologue and we're finishing with climbs, could he foreseeably lead the race from start to finish? Yes. Mm. I reckon he can. It's, well, so the women go up the corkscrew as well. Yeah. Let's talk about the women's first before we talk about whether Jay Vine can win the whole thing. We're going to come back to that. <laughs> I think you just said, we know where you stand with that. I know. Um, All the bookie. <laughs> yes. Um, well, look, this is the wheelhouse. I'm Kate Bates. I'm joined by Sophie Smith. We're going to dive into the women's TDU. That kicks off first. Uh, both the men and the women have a crit. I'm going to ask the question, is a crit legit in a world tour race? Well, I guess it's not part of the race. Are you talking about the classic? Oh, I'm talking about the Schwalbe. Yeah, classic. okay. See, I have never counted that as part of the race. I kind of look at that as a blow out the cobwebs from the off-season. Yeah. And well, and it's not pre-season. its not technically part of the race. So it's no. not. But it is like ranked, racing but... starts on that particular day. Yeah. For me, if I was an athlete, I'd almost be a bit nervous doing it. Oh, <laughs> right? If you crash in that race and... <laughs> And do a collarbone or a wrist or something like that. That's start of your season, well, like derailed. They've got the team's presentation as well. And you might cast your back and remember, your mind back and remember Matt White uh, at the Tour de France on his debut. 
and he broke his collarbone riding to the team presentation. Yep. Going over a media cable. A media, yep. There's I think so- he knocked himself out as well. <laughs> I think he actually, I spoke to him about this for a, a book I wrote that was published last year that I, I don't verbatim quote me on this <laughs> but I actually think he said he um it took him years to get like a, a tour de France start the year before they like 48 hours beforehand they called him and said no sorry we've changed our mind and from memory I think he said like he just remembers riding over like a piping or something the road was wet and that's that's it he, the next thing was he woke up in the age oh. hospital or something like that it's, it's not so, funny it's, <laughs> why are we laughing it's, it's not funny no but it, it didn't happen to us that's why. but it's a really good point about the crit because mm. there would be quite a few riders who are not looking forward to it but i guess the upside is you could also if you look at it from a positive yeah, but that the there's a lot of you. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really but we'll make it <laughs> make it till you make it um you know, there's a lot of, we were talking about this before, there's a lot of debutants here, start of the season, there's lots of people that have changed teams. So in a way, it could be good. It could be a good way to, I guess, get the nerves, get the nerves out a out. little bit, sort of get an early indication of how you're going to ride with these men or these women. So that come stage one proper, you've got a little bit of familiarity there. Yeah. I mean, on the plus side, I'm going to go the positive side as well. I think it's entertainment, right? That's They the get thing. paid because it's entertainment and mm. people watch around the world and there's going to be a lot of people watching who don't even know what a world tour versus a not world tour race is mm. they don't know about points and systems they don't care yeah. they just want to watch it <laughs> they just and you can do that with a criterion you see yes. more, you're going to see more than a minute's worth of of action because they're going exactly. round and round in circles exactly well so for the women they do the crit and then the next day is stage one they've mm. got three stages this year we've got a, had a bit of a change in race direction so normally it was kimberly conti uh, running the ship. She's moved on. Um, Carly Taylor and Annette Edmondson are now primarily uh, in charge of the women's race. Mm. The course is a cracker. Yeah, it's good. Isn't it? They've got, um, I've got in front of me here, the Santos Tour Down Under uh, yep. official program. It's like a broadsheet uh, newspaper here. here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Microphone. No it's bag. got uh, Caleb on the <laughs> front looking very resplendent, but it's got all the info uh, in here, including um, all of the courses. And they've essentially designed the women's course to have one stage for the sprinters, mm. one stage for the climbers, and one stage for the punchers. Yeah, really. Which I think is great. They sort of did something similar with the Tour de France Femme last year, but I think it's a great way to. A, get people to the start line and B, cater for the diverse, you know, the diverse array of riders in the peloton. Yes. Well, let's start by talking uh, a little bit about the start list. Mm. Um, we'll address the elephant in the room and I'm not talking about the weight I gained over Christmas. The pudding was really good, by the way. I'd do it again. Uh, but we've got 15 women's teams in the world tour. Mm. Only six of them are here. What do we think about that? We were talking about this. There's many, many different avenues to this. <laughs> you put me on the spot now. Oh, no. You're never going to come back. You're like, you're like really, Kate, really? Yeah. Give me dirty looks. I mean, it is. It, in a way, it is. It is what it is. I think it's still going to be um, competitive racing, and I don't know the official reason as to why not every World Tour team is here. I would previously with women's cycling, there has been issues with budget, so it might be that the teams haven't been able haven't been able to afford to come out because it is a long way it is a long way to come to us to australia and covid <laughs> pricing like airfares are ridiculous COVID, now, right? exactly like um 
So there's that, and you're not you're not just bringing yourself and your bike. You're bringing soigneurs and chefs and uh, the full entourage, whatever the full entourage. Well, officially, exactly. uh, the Tour Down Under have said that it is pretty much that related, and complicated by the fact that for the Women's World Tour, the teams aren't obliged to ride all of the World Tour races. So the men's teams have to send a team to every race that is classified as a World Tour race. No exceptions. Yeah. With the women, they can still, the women's teams can still pick and choose a little bit. It's a bit disappointing for me because I, I can't help but want to defend Adelaide when they can choose to come or not and they choose not to come. Yeah, I think maybe you have to look at if you're going to defend the teams that, that don't. If you look at it in, in terms of the women's calendar, like this is great to be here on the start line if you have early season objectives. It's amazing. And we see men's cycling... Um, previously they won't just come out for this race they come out for a block so they'll get here like after christmas or early new year and it's it's a month on it's a month on the road of training and racing in good weather weather with the and you know and that being said you know the classics are an objective and the giro which is in the first half of the year the women's calendar operates a bit differently uh or is a different runs to a different schedule i guess you could say but i would i mean it's a world tour event it would have been nice to see more world tour teams here particularly because the world tour teams have expanded but yeah come on guys come out i mean for the aussie fans it's like winner winner chicken dinner because yeah. the creme de la creme of aussie cyclists in the pro tour are here yeah. uh, and i think that we've got some incredible international riders that have come to adelaide but i really think that our big contenders are going to come from the australian contingent and you mentioned before like they come out and train in the beautiful weather it's 38 degrees. It's not. <laughs> That's Again. about 15 degrees past beautiful uh, in my book. Uh, but it only kind of adds to the advantage that the Aussies have who have been here for the whole summer who might tolerate it a bit more. I think so. And that's where you, yeah. Yeah. An I advantage mean, for them. They've had a taste of it in Bunningyong as well. But a lot ooh. of them, having said that, do come from Europe they live in Europe now so this is true and the tour last year was very very hot it was when they, they were watering down the roads because it was so hot yeah cyclings are traditionally well I guess you know a lot of it is held in in good weather so I think it's more a shock to the system for for them when they go back to Europe actually yeah. and then they're lining up at the classics where it's well that's a really interesting perspective actually because <laughs> so often at TDU we're talking about it's an advantage for the Aussies because it's hot but if you actually dial back the hysteria, um, I'm not known for that at all, Sophie. So, <laughs> uh, and you think that it's very hot in Europe in summer. Yeah. So it might be a bit of a shock to them coming from the winter, but it doesn't mean that they can't tolerate it. Um, the women are racing 294k in total. They are going over the corkscrew. Um, it's going to be a tough, a tough day out for them. Um, I spoke to Rachel Nalen this morning at the team hotel. Uh, she had a few interesting things to say. For us, uh, it, it's obviously higher stakes, more um, more points. So it's really um, the intensity of the racing is going to be higher. Higher, it's going to be a faster race. Um, yeah, there's a lot more at stake at the at the end. It's a lot more prestige to win a world to a race than a, just a point one. So I think it's just going to be hotter and harder and, and faster. Um, but also everything around the race really steps up. So the accommodation is better. Um, you know, the organisation, and it's really sort of a lot more tightly wrapped into the men's race, which is fantastic for us i always feel a little bit of um i guess good energy and you know you really need to take that because we don't race in front of home crowds 
at, at all, like never. So it's um, I, I wouldn't call it pressure. I would just call it a, a nice amount of um, anticipation and and pride, really, to be able to race in the green and gold and um, and share my experience with the younger girls. And that's really my my role this week. And um, yeah, just super excited to race on on home soil. I think the Aussies do have an advantage, having gotten used to the heat a little bit um, and having you know knowing the roads and also just the extra buzz of racing at home. So I really think that Amanda Spratt is is really uh, quite a a hot favourite um, uh, and Grace Brown as well. I think the two of them, you know, obviously Ruby, um, Alex, uh, the Bike Exchange girls. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really, really uh, hard race. Uh, the races are, the stages are quite short, so they're going to be intense and the heat will play a big factor. She's a cracker. So I feel like I there's a bit of enthusiasm in her face and a sparkle in her eye. I reckon she's, she didn't say it directly, but I reckon she's got her eye on a few stages as well. I don't doubt it. Rachel's been competing for a very long time and she's never lost that enthusiasm or, or that passion for racing. She's always prepared. She's always thinking <laughs> about the next step or what's, or what's around the corner. She's earned her spot in the peloton, that's for sure. And again, she's one that's particularly proud to represent Australia. Oh, so proud. So she'll be riding here for UniSA. Uh, her pro team, Kofidis, they chose not to come. Uh, meant to be starting with them, but will not be a starter is Chloe Hosking. Uh, Chloe got a last minute reprieve uh, from Donna Ray and all cycling um, to have a spot for the crit, but unfortunately she's sick, so we won't see her. Uh, but I want to touch on Chloe because normally in this style race, we would have the crit plus another stage really mm. earmarked for her. Uh, she's Australia's most successful female cyclist mm. on the sprint front. And at this stage, her retirement race will be at the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race with the national team because she was part of the B&B Hotels team that collapsed yeah. and she's now running out of options. It, the only word I can really use to describe it is totally crap. Like yeah. what a crappy ecosystem where that can happen to a rider of that calibre. This is the reality of cycling, sadly, still to this day. And we can sit here and say, oh, you know, where are the World Tour teams? Why haven't they come out? And yeah, it'd be great to see them here. But the reality is that cycling's business model is still very, I've always compared it to a house of cards um, and things like team collapses like this. That was, such a, that was such a good mini-series, wasn't it? Yeah. Of, I mean, pretty House dark. Oh, there's a few dark moments in cycling. But, you know, like teams... And it's horrible to see because you're talking about people's livelihoods, but teams can, they're there one year and they're not there and they're not there the next. And the reality of that is, I remember Oleg Tinkoff years ago with, with a men's team, he described that as his toy. And I was like, that's the life. He's like, if I get bored of my toy, I just throw it out. And he oh. was in and out of the sport relatively quickly. And you're talking about the reality of, you know, you can say it's a house of cards and this and that. The reality is you're talking about people's livelihoods. And when it's, you know, it comes down to it's January, the season started and people are still looking for teams and sometimes they find them. It happened to Simon Clark last year in the men's ranks and he went on to win a stage of the Tour de France. Oh, a memorable one too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I mean, that's just the hard part about cycling. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reality is that you can, no matter how good you are or what history you have in the sport, you can be found wanting through circumstances that, are not your own fault. No, and we look, we wish uh, Chloe all the very best in her recovery so that if, in fact, um, 
Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race is her final race, uh, that it's a real clangor for her. Um, I'm Kate Bates. This is The Wheelhouse. I'm here with Sophie Smith. Uh, Joel Spreadborough, normal co-host, he's on the beach in Thailand somewhere. Uh, so Sophie um, is more than filling his boots here. I haven't called you Jolene yet. I'll not try yet. not to. <laughs> uh, we're talking about all things uh, Summer of Cycling and Tour Down Under. Chloe Hosking, she may not uh, go back to the pro peloton this year. Speaking of sprinters who are riding uh, outside their teams, Caleb Ewan, he's at the Tour Down Under. Uh, Sophie, he's riding for UniSA in the national team. That's a little bit odd. Uh, he graces the cover of the um, Tour the Village magazine yep. in his Lotto colours, but Lotto Destiny have decided not to come. Gee, I'm glad Caleb is still here. Yeah. It's strange that they, and I'm sure, again, they were relegated last year, so maybe their focus of... Uh, I guess is on on achieving points this season as well as results and, and getting that world tour status back. But I haven't spoken to anyone from the team as to the reason for not coming. But Caleb is like is the face of that squad. He's their main draw card. You know, they don't have a general class. They don't have a Grand Tour contender. They have a multiple Tour de France. They uh, have a Caleb winner. So <laughs> he has trade teammates in the national team with him. But I don't think I've seen that before. Yeah, and I mean, it does kind of raise the question, if the teams aren't forced to come like the World Tour teams have to come, now that Lotto Destiny is a pro tour team, they get to choose and pick a little bit um, and we may see a bit of a change in, in what they target, but I, I reckon there are a few uh, people in the organising committee here at SA Tourism that sighed with relief uh, when he was announced as riding for the national <laughs> team because it would be a massive omission to not have him here. But you kind of can't go past the fact that we've got some massive names here. So the men's race, 673K, mm. it's six stages, a 5.5K prologue to kick it off. We talked about that earlier with Jay Vine. It's been running since 1999, so it's well and truly established. It's a long time, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, Aussies have dominated it. We've won it 13 times. One of the riders back is Louis Leon Sanchez. He's a former winner. This is his 13th edition. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's riding for Astana. We've seen him in a whole smattering of different team jerseys over the years the Aussie that we expect to be here uh, for Israel Premier Tech it will be his 12th the most experienced Aussie rider Simon Clark but Sophie I believe he's got a bit of the spicy cough that's what I've heard as well oh. <laughs> but they, I, I think that uh, the, my understanding is the team is monitoring the situation so he's not necessarily out he's just been delayed yes in arriving in Adelaide Yes. TBC. They haven't printed the start list yet. They are <laughs> waiting on that one. I really hope that we do see him here. He is one of the most exciting And he was in Aussie shape riders. at Nationals, yeah? Yes. On the podium at Nationals. Yes. Well, you know, I, I think a lot has changed uh, kind of in one way post-COVID, um, but the reality is it is still going on yeah. um, and it is still affecting some things. Uh, we've got quite a lot of debutantes mm. racing. Um, so if there's 140 riders in total, but 80 of them have never graced the streets of Adelaide before. That's a pretty big, uh, that's like nearly 60%. That's a pretty big margin. It's a big margin, but also I think that's one of the beauty of these races as well is you have someone that comes in and they're a debutante and they sort of fly under the radar here. Egan Bernal won the white jersey here, I don't know how many years ago now four or five maybe just roll with it barely spoke a word of english <laughs> no one knew who he was and i believe either the next year or the year after that he won the tour de france so sometimes yeah. these debutants it's easy to sort of overlook them um 
But Meteoric rises, right? They, like, they, yeah, they go on sometimes very quickly to do massive things and become household names. It's, I always think about Jonas Vingago when I think about the meteoric rise because he literally got his pro contract because his manager sent uh, his Strava files yeah. around the world tour and said, come on, guys, someone's got That's to a sign really savvy him. You know? I know. But <laughs> he asked me for an increased it. commission. <laughs> I know. Um, let's talk about the riders that are here that we're looking forward to. Very strong Aussie contingent. It's Absolutely. Like they've all come home. We've got um, Giro star Jai Hindley. And I'm going to pause there for a second. Uh, Joel and I have some pronunciation issues here, <laughs> Sophie. Um, you're a little bit more cultured in this regard, I oh, think, I than us. Sorry, Joel. Jai, we know it's Jai like why. Like why, Jai? Yep. Hindley it- or Hindley? I say Hindley. Hindley, okay. <laughs> I but, feel like we just need to ask him. Yeah, we do. We will. So, Jai Hindley, we're going to go podcast, in podcast, we'll confirm. <laughs> yes, TBC, yeah. everybody. Uh, you've spoken to him, Soph. Is this a target for him or is this just a way for him to interact with his fans and come home and enjoy a summer uh, before going back and, and looking for another Grand Tour? He's downplayed uh, his ambitions to have to you know, go for the general classification here. He's pointed to a couple of other teammates. I think last season, well, we know it was huge for him in terms of becoming the first Australian to win the Giro. There was a lot of emotions that, that came with that. And at the end of it, you know, he finished his season at the World Championships. It was the first time he's been allowed back into Australia for almost, almost three years. But I think one of the big lessons from him last year was actually learning how to deal with fame like the attention that comes from and he spoke about this when uh, we had a chat over the phone uh, before we both reached Adelaide um, he spoke about just not being and I guess you can't be prepared for that until it happens but being pulled in every which way direction and then that was in Europe and coming back to Australia and doing the Vuelta in between there he sort of said he got to uh, got through the off season and it was amazing to give back and do all these engagements but when he had to start training again he felt as tired as he did when he finished the season having said that i think he's got some very very big objectives uh this year so i imagine i think he was meant to be at nationals and he didn't compete i'm not sure what happened there uh so he's under underplaying a role here i think he he himself just wants to sort of get an idea this is the first chance in the season where everyone can sort of measure up what they've each done in training and whether their own training is kind of you know around the benchmark of of their rivals so i get the feeling he'll be more doing that but I think Jai still thinks he can play like you mentioned it before with with Jay Vine this is gonna get confusing <laughs> Jay, like, Jai, why Jai flying under and the, hey Jay yeah like hey flying Jay. under the radar or people being surprised by a result I think Jai still thinks he can fly under the radar this year and I can't you're the first Australian to win the Giro <laughs> I can't see that happening why and maybe Jai? Jay why would you think that <laughs> maybe, maybe Jay will be the same so that's another. That's another TBC. He's he's not come out and said, "Yep, I, um, my intention is to win the Tour Down Under." But we now know how much of a class rider he is. So, um, do you know what I love most about this either. combo is that we're jumping from Aussie to Aussie to Aussie, yeah. who thinks they maybe can fly under the radar, which we find comical because they're so good. Because another one um, that turn has turned up. We like to fondly call him here at the wheelhouse, uh, Sophie Glutes O'Connor. Right. Glutes O'Connor. Um, <laughs> thanks to his glute injury at the Tour de France. I was going to say, what's that for um, to? Let me, yeah, <laughs> let me be very clear about that. Uh, and 
his attitude through that, we just loved it. Like Joel and I, of all the interviews we were listening to, we just loved how relaxed he was about it all. Injured, had the weight of expectation on his shoulders, but so focused and so methodical about it all. I'm just really excited to have him back in Australia and us be able to see him race. I can't wait to see Jai, Jay, this is going to get confusing, <laughs> and glutes, and glutes. <laughs> racing up the corkscrew. Yeah. And... I was I saw Ben at the tour last year when he when he had that injury and even you know there was one stage he got off his bike and he winced as he was getting off his bike he downplayed it later he just went oh it was a muscle tear or whatever but to go to do those stages he couldn't like he got off his bike he was wincing when he got off his bike he was wincing when he got onto the bus but mentally he sort of never wavered he was he was just sort of very calm very approachable the whole way through and then went on to do the Vuelta as well so for a long time you know, the focus and particularly in men's cycling has been on sprinters because there's a, you know, a lot of road cycling. Australia starts on the track, but we've now got this crop of climbers that are winning, not even have the potential to win Grand Tours, but are winning Grand Tours or as Ben did finishing fourth on debut a couple of years ago. He's, he's remarkable. The Aussie fans, they have so much to cheer about this week. Uh, I reckon we might see a few different and interesting names coming out of it. So many debutantes, I'm so sure we'll see one or two of them step up and we'll be frantically Googling them to, to figure out <laughs> trying to spy the, I'm trying know, to spy got, the start list. Yeah, we do now. have the, uh, the, provisional the provisional start list <laughs> up here. Let's do call asterisks. it that. I know so many asterisks. Uh, Michael Matthews for Jayco Alula, he certainly, he's in great form. He was on the podium at the national championships, but we know from his style of racing that some of the courses that the men follow, it's, it's not too different to the women's in that they've got a bit of climbing in there. They've got a bit for the sprinters. Uh, they've got a few of those delightful stages that mm. the sprinters can get over uh, if they're on the right day. Otherwise, they'll hate them. But I would think that Michael Matthews would be in for a really good shot for a couple of stage wins. I imagine he'd be targeting, targeting stage wins. They've also got Simon Yates in the team who... I haven't spoken to him, but might have a crack at the at the general classification. Yes. But I've got all the time in the world for, for Michael Matthews. He's a consummate professional. Um, and throughout his career, his rivals have been generational talent. You know, he first pay, faced Peter Sagan and now it's Walt Van Aert and Matthew Van Der Poel and, and people like this. And last year when he won that stage of the Tour de France, he was, you know, people in the press room were generally, this never happens, were genuinely like, you know what, he deserved that. And he almost reinvented himself. <laughs> it never happens. What a miserable he, <laughs> he know, bunch of well, <laughs> About that another time. Yeah. No. But, you you know, like you get invested, I guess, in a way. He reinvented himself that day. He sort of, where he's normally would win stages from reduced bunch sprints. He, um, against another crop of generational rivals, has, you know, found a way to win. Yes. Was a, that was a solo victory. And he really... He performed at the World Championships last year as well. There was so much pressure on his shoulders being a home World so, Championship. Yeah, you chatted to him there and he seemed pretty relaxed, Soph, but you know he that he felt he that must pressure though. He knew. It. And it was so much that I spoke to people behind the scenes so within sports psychologists and they're like, oh no, like there's too much pressure. He's feeling the pressure. He's, you know, being approached every other day on the street and he finished third. Hmm. Not bad for under pressure. So yeah, <laughs> he can handle it. <laughs> he can yeah. handle it. It's, Ineos have a Kraken squad here. Luke Plapp, he'll be resplendent mm -hmm. in his green and gold. But Garrett Thomas, crowd favourite, G. Uh, he's got some new sunnies, Soph. He does. Is this good or bad? Like, we've talked about uh, Joel and I before. He's 
devotion to his Oakleys. Yeah. To the one star. Well, they became a trademark, didn't they? No, but they're gone. I mean, is this like Amanda Spratt's now with Trek? She's no longer Spratty Blue Shoes. <laughs> like, is this a good thing when the one lucky thing goes? Well, I think it's you know, Friday I, the thirteenth. I'm going to add. He had, don't say oh. that. <laughs> he had. Um, if he put something up on Twitter the other day, he's actually got. Who's their new sponsor? Is it Sun God? Sun God, I think. something like that. They've actually done it, so he's got the white rims now. Oh, so so they've actually tried to make them. Yeah, sort more of diverse. Oakley look. Yeah, <laughs> not an Oakley look, but the same color. Now very correct. Makes same, same uh, color. They've also got the Hater Brothers here. Mm. I'm so excited by this because. I'm a big fan of Leo and Ethan Hayter. I've watched them develop through the ranks. Their dad's really funny on social media, I might add. Um, go look him up after you look <laughs> us up and follow us <laughs> first. Uh, but they're racing together for the first time in the world mm. tour uh, because, you know, going up from under-23s and from juniors, yeah, it'll just be really interesting to me to see whether they have that meteoric rise or whether the weight of expectation on their shoulders will see them um, stall a little bit on the way through. Yeah. But between the haters and Luke Clapp and Magnus Sheffield as well, the mm. American who's come from a skiing background, um, and in fact, slight detour, but he was actually quoted in the off-season as considering um, having a break from professional cycling to go back to Nordic skiing. Yes, you do. So there you go. <laughs> um, but, gee, Garrett Thomas, he'll actually play quite a big leadership role now. Absolutely. As well as uh, us wanting to see him win. But he's like the old man in the team now. Sorry, G. He's my age, so let's not say old. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, all right. Say. No, but he's a, he's a very experienced, and I guess you know that some of these riders would now be looking up to him as a role model. And we saw what he did at the Tour de France last year, finishing on the podium. That you don't, you just don't discount him, and that was huge because this doesn't so much seem to be a thing in women's cycling, but in men's cycling now, it is the younger riders that are winning. The, the culture used to be that. You come in, you earn your stripes, and then you start winning years later. Cadell Evans took years, you know, it was a years in the making when he won the Tour de France. Whereas now you're seeing these riders come out of, well, not juniors, but under 23, and in their first year or their second year, they're winning major races. So in terms of looking at what can they do, will they live up to the hype, it's that's always been an interesting thing. Sometimes good juniors don't make good pros. Well, no, and, and speaking of the young ones, in the women's, the youngest rider, and it's a world tour race, um, is Izzy Khan. She's stepped up from juniors. Uh, she's 18 still, not even turned 19. Uh, and in the men, it's not too dissimilar. Uh, we've also got some youngsters going there, but Zach Marriage um, is the youngest, and he's only just turned 19. Uh, so even on the Australian front, all of a sudden we've got these exceptionally young, really baby faced starting athletes. big races. They this are. isn't a small race. No. And people come here to race. And to win. Yeah. There's, there's points, there's, you know, and you can never discount a victory, I don't think, if that's part of the year because it can create momentum that lasts throughout the entire season. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sophie, before we wrap up, I'm going to put you on the spot. I, okay. I You've done should that a bit have today. told you this before, but yeah, no, alas. Um, give us a tip. Who do you reckon in the women's race we're going to see um, prevail in the GC and, and then one for the men? The women's, I honestly don't know. And this is what I love about women's cycling at the moment is for me, it's fascinating to watch because it is unpredictable. And it is really, you know, in, in some of the men's races now, you know, there's a formula to it, whereas the women's racing, it's it's constantly just aggressive and attack, attack, attack. 
having good though. It's great though. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch. But I'm still going to make you. I'm definitely going to say. Maybe Brody Chapman. Oh, good one. Maybe. See, because I've got a tip and I tried to get on to Joel to get his tip, but I really think that he must be like asleep under his lounger um, on the beach. So I was going to give him. He's just him... at the bar as opposed to working in yeah. front of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to give him um, Brody if you didn't. So okay. there you go. All right, we've got Brody. Jolene has stolen it. Jolene has <laughs> <First> stolen <laughs> Nine to five, it's, baby. I, if I could sing, I would right now. Alas, Joel has banned me from that too, as has uh, Mercy <laughs> behind the camera. Amanda Spratt. Yeah. We're, like Trek is getting some big tips from us today, uh, the women's side. So who do we give to Joel then? Who would you I feel like he should be, be? He should dial in from Thailand and, you know. No, up your game. Joel, he, he will be here next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he'll be able to debate um, the pros and cons and we can't wait to have him uh, joining us in Adelaide as well. That will be absolutely unreal. Uh, but for another woman who could possibly take the title, I'd have to say Grace Brown. Yeah. So I guess Joel gets Grace Brown. That's a good call. Yeah. All right, the men. Who's your tip for the men? Well, you're going for Jay Vine, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, don't yep. even, I don't even have to ask yep. you there. I wouldn't – I'm – you don't know where the internationals are. That's the thing. And I know there's a, a long list of Australians that have won this race. Um, a long list. A long yes. list. But the internationals can never be discounted either. I'm curious to see who Ineos rides for. Yes. I don't know if that could be Platt. And have a lot of people on, don't behind sit on him. the fence. So there's there's really nothing on this. <laughs> I think I would say. You know what? My head says Simon Yates. Ooh. And my heart says Jai Hindley, even <gasps> though he has said he's not, or one of his teammates. Okay. Who I haven't looked at the start list. So probably. just to clarify, right there, who are you going with? <laughs> <laughs> You're going what? with. Um, Yates. I'll go with the Yates. Okay. Well, then Joel gets YJ. Okay. All right. All right. That's clarified. <laughs> uh, we will be here uh, the whole time at the Tour Down Under. Uh, please like, follow, share with your friends. Encourage everybody to join us on this crazy journey. Uh, Sophie Jolene Smith. Uh, I'd like to see your Twitter bio <laughs> updated that. for that. Thank you so much for stepping into Thank the shoes. Thank you for having me. Um, I guess is this our way of telling Joel that he's been replaced I mean, oh yeah. no sorry <laughs> sorry Joel stay uh, in Thailand no. yes but please stay tuned we'll have um, some full podcasts coming out but also a ton on social media so check all of your channels um, pass it along and uh, so if I reckon it's time for a cold bevy given the 38 degrees absolutely yeah. it is very hot that is one serious thing about Twitter Under yes <laughs> it's contending with the heat it, it is um, I'm Kate Bates joined by Sophie Smith for the Wheelhouse Cycling Podcast. Like, follow, share, and we'll see you soon. This special episode of The Wheelhouse was recorded live by River City Studios at the Tour Down Under, thanks to Swift and the legends at Champion System Australia, Pissay, and the Grow Getters Group. Let's go.